Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, We have... well, we had uh, we had ourselves a merry little Thanksgiving. We talked about that on the on the movie journal episode Indeed. a little bit. Um, and, and this is our this is probably our holiday episode, right? Yeah, I think it sort of worked out. Um, that this is yeah. going to be our, our most holiday themed episode. Um, we have a present here, or a card rather, from uh, Todd. Um, presents are a little better, but that's fine. Um, that's fine. Oh, this is so sweet. Okay. Um, wow. See, this is I, when something's to us. I tend to wait to open it on the on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. This is clearly meant for me. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, a um, I don't know you a well wishes card uh, about oh. the fact that my. Um, Dog Jack uh, pack, passed away. Um, That's very nice. And so, Todd, thank you so much. Yes, um, for reaching out. I think we've gotten a lot of. This is the first, the first dog I ever had. The first time I ever lost a dog, and mm-hmm. so I've really been touched by how many people, you know, friends and coworkers, but also how many listeners of the podcast yeah. who have gone through this um, have reached out. Um, and you know, this is the first time I'm really realizing how hard it is to lose uh, a dog. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, I've. Uh, really any pet. I mean, I, I, I grew up with a cat that died after I'd gone away to college. So it was sick. I was, right. I was sad, but it was sort of from a remove cause I didn't live with that cat n- anymore, you know? Um, yeah. so this is the first time I'd really lost a pet and I've been really uh, touched by how, um, I mean, I, I almost surprised myself with how sad I was and continued to be about it. Um, but I, I've loved uh, hearing from so many people and realizing that people, you know, people go through the same stuff. People love their pets just like I do, even though I still believe that Jack was the greatest dog that has ever lived. And I loved him more than anyone could possibly love it. A dog. It's nice knowing other people come close. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. They'll have to use their imaginations to, to, uh, even relate to you, but, uh, (laughs) no, and I've, and it's interesting because I've had a, a similar thing where I, uh, our cat. So we have two cats now. We have Charlie and Molly. Charlie. Charlie is my first real pet. Um, you know, you had uh, the good cardinal, uh, and you still have her. Still have, and yeah, so her, her. that was my first real exposure to a pet. But Charlie is my first actual pet. He's getting up there in years, and I'm. I know he's probably in the next two three years. He's probably going to go, and that I've lost family members and mm-hmm. friends, like people that are I'm very close to, and. I'm dreading the loss of Charlie. And I think it has to do with the fact that like pets, like they're right there. They're there the whole time and they're interacting with you and they're showing affection and, and like they're a part of your daily life. And when they're gone, uh, it's like, oh, this entire, po- like you suddenly realize like, oh, this was a big part of my day when I was yeah. home. It's I, very strange. I had, at the risk of sounding like um, callous, uh, this is something I was talking about with, with one of my coworkers, like if a family member dies, like when my grandma died, mm-hmm. I got like a week bereavement leave. And that's, yeah. you know, I needed that. I needed to go out of town and everything. Right. But like, like you're saying, Jack was a part of my daily life. Yeah. Like it was, you know, I love and miss my grandma, but like it was you know, easier to adjust, yeah. you know, to her not being around yeah. anymore. Because Grandma wasn't sitting on your lap every night. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why do I, why am I expected to take one day off and get back to work? And I'm lucky even, you know, that I get a day off. If someone works like the service yeah. industry or whatever, you know, that would you know, be left out of the, out of the room for, uh, wanting a day off for a, a, a pet's death. But I should, I feel like I need, I needed two weeks off. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're just there at home all day. Uh, yeah. That's aware true. of the absence. You yeah. Know? That is, that is so. the hardest. All right. Well, but thank um, you. Todd, that's very nice. Of yes, you. thank you, Todd. And let's, uh, much like Casey Kasem, let's transition directly from <laughs> the death of a pet uh, to an advertisement. Absolutely. This episode, very sadly, is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. So, currently available on Mubi is Radio Mary, directed by Gary Walco, adapted from his own novel. It is a beguiling story about a woman haunted by a 
Mephistophelian, is that how you say it? That's how I would say it. Okay. Uh, uh, Mephistophelian Mystery Man and Her Newfound Telepathic Powers, starring Caitlin Shile of Your Next, House of Cards, Brigsby Bear, and more, Radio Mary is an off-kilter modern ghost story. Uh, so that, along with, of course, 29 other movies are available, and there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now or you can go to battleshippretension.com and click on the movie ad. Uh, and I want to tell you about uh, earbuds that you can pick up at tweakedaudio.com. Christmas is literally right around the corner. This mm-hmm. is our Christmas, uh, Christmassy episode, so uh, pick up some gifts for your friends. Everyone needs earbuds all the time. Indeed. you got to block out the world. Yes. Um, uh, they're available. They, they, they come in a variety of stylish styles and, and colorful colors. Uh, they look great. They sound great. Tyler and I both use them each and every day of our lives. Today, well, I listened to, uh, let's see, uh, what did I listen to on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds today? Mm-hmm. I listened to uh, Moses Sumney did a uh, Tiny Desk co- concert, quote-unquote, at uh, NPR, which is a okay. series they do. But also, most importantly, for the Christmas episode, we've got a new trend this year, or at least if two, two things is a trend, of rappers doing more or less faithful covers of Christmas tra- uh, uh, classics. Okay. Whereas, uh, uh, first... Um, Dram or Drum, I'm not sure how you say his name, did Silver Bells, which is actually one of my favorite Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then today, or yesterday, maybe it was released, DMX did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> it's delightful. And it is just a faithful rendition of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Reindeer by DMX. Uh, it sounded great in my TweakedAudio.com earbuds. They're uh, available at a low, low price over at TweakedAudio.com. Uh, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Like we said, we're going to talk about Christmas stuff soon uh, because our, our, our guest has a, has a book. He is the author of that book. It's called Have Yourself a Movie, Little Christmas. He is also the film reviews editor at The Wrap. Please welcome uh, Alonzo Duralde. Okay. Did I say your last name correct? It, it'll, I'll take it. How do you say it? <laughs> you know, it depends. Uh, I, I, Duraldi, Duraldi's fine. Okay. Durante? It's, I get that. Oh, oh really? Oh, yeah, a lot. Like, <laughs> people who are quoting me where you could, like, just cut and paste my name off of the review, <laughs> somehow it becomes Durante. Um, you know, I mean, technically it's Duralde, but, like, oh, sure, okay. it's like that thing where white anchormen say Nicaragua. You know, you just don't want to make people do that. So <laughs> did you, see, I'm did you ever see that old SNL exactly. sketch? Exactly. Yes, uh, Jimmy the Broncos in San Diego. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. You know, I have a friend whose name is Fernando mm-hmm. and he just started telling people he's from Mexico and he just started telling people his name was John because he was so sick. <laughs> he was so sick of white people saying Fernando. Oh, well, hmm. I, I, I keep meaning to come up with a Starbucks name and I always forget to do it <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> Uh, so, well, this will get us into the question that I ask all of our first-time guests. Uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Atlanta in the suburbs, uh, but my parents were both born in Spain, so my husband likes to say that I grew up in the Spanish embassy. So, you know, <laughs> I, uh, there are certain culinary and pronunciational things from the South that I didn't pick up for having parents that weren't natives, but I do say y'all without irony. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I find y'all to be useful. I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, which is not a place that I feel like St. Louis is specifically, as opposed to Missouri, is a place that very consciously doesn't say things like y'all because St. Louisans have a sort of chip on their shoulder about not wanting to be thought of as. All right, are they yins or you guys? <laughs> uh, no, well the, well, the St. Louis accent uh, has to do with turning. O R into A R. So like you eat, you eat yeah. your salad with a fark. Yeah. Uh, okay. You take highway farty far to get a, <laughs> a, a, a across the south side. And this is the example I've used before. So when we first uh, moved to Chicago, uh, and David's dad. Uh, 
helped us find a place and all that. It was on a street called Cornelia. I it took me a long time to realize that I thought it was on Carnelia for a long time, <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, that's because yeah. I'd only heard your dad say it." Yeah. Um, okay, so um, how did you uh, how did you come to be in Los Angeles, and how did you come to write about movies? Oh God, well, those are two very different questions. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of grew up obsessed with movies, partially because uh, my mother really liked them, and you know, we, we it was the kind of thing in my house where, like, for certain movies, we would kind of drop everything and, and watch them and stuff. But uh, also, it's that weird. Remember in uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher, where the kid sees two people play chess in the park once and then just like builds a board <laughs> in his room out of teddy bears or whatever? Yes. Uh, before I even went to movies, I became obsessed with the movie listings in the newspaper. Okay. And like that's how I learned to read. And I could tell you what was showing anywhere near our house, even though, again, I wasn't yet going to the movies. So I had this sort of weird ingrained obsession from before I even knew what the hell it was about. So it's just been this thing in my life forever. Um, I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, God, my first job after college was uh, in Dallas at the a newspaper that no longer exists. So that'll teach them to fire me. <laughs> and, um, you know, after I was there for a couple of years, I worked for the film festival there. And then a good friend of mine and I, who had also worked at that paper, uh, decided to move out here together just because there weren't opportunities of what we wanted to do there. Um, and my friend is Robert Abley, who now writes for the LA times and writes for me at the rap and has done a lot of stuff. And I was out here for a few years. I wound up going back to Dallas to run the USA film festival for about five years. And then I moved back out here in 99 with my husband. Um, Oh wow. So you've been here a while. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's exciting. Uh, has L sorry. I know that David, you like to ask the LA questions. Oh no, I, I, uh, I am actually kind of, I feel like a proud dad that now you're the one who's uh, getting into the LA pride. Um, pride. Yeah, I guess so. No, I like Los Angeles. Uh, I've had to, uh, I feel like in the last uh, few weeks I've had to defend it to people. Um, like when I was in Asia, uh, there were some people that were very excited at the notion that I was from Los Angeles. And there was like one or two people that I talked to, uh, who seemed to say like, Oh, California, good. And Los Angeles, not good. And I was like, Oh, that's weird. Is that a, I guess that's a thing that goes around. Well, there's, I think there's a lot of like, I feel like New Yorkers and San Franciscans especially have a lot of like, uh, stereotypes. They're haters when it comes to Los Angeles, but it's not, it's usually not return. It's, it's never mutual. No, no. You ask yeah. Los Angeles people about San Francisco, they're like, oh, beautiful city. It's I great. have friends there. Yeah. I love going up there. Yeah, and San Francisco, oh, LA, it's so shallow. Uh, you know? yeah. And it's the same with the yeah, New York people have this inflated sense of how terrible LA is and how great New York is. And it's like, uh, New York's lovely, and we all like going there, and yeah. we all like coming back to you know normal weather and driveways. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and I think that's the difference. We don't feel that animosity towards them because we're happy here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're the ones who have chips on their shoulders. Um, I do miss, I miss Chicago, though. I miss, sure, yeah. uh, you know, especially this time of year. Chicago this time of year is beautiful. Um, but what I was going to ask, so I've been here for 10 years now, mm-hmm. and uh, coming up on 11 now that I think about it, and I feel like that's been long enough for me to see changes in the city, certainly changes in the neighborhoods. Uh, but it's, you know, you're almost 20 years here, and so like, how have you seen Los Angeles change for the better or for worse, uh, whether it be movie culture or otherwise? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, when I moved here, I think the internet was not quite the behemoth that it has right. become, which is a, both a good and a bad thing in a lot of ways. Certainly, I think for people in our line of work, uh, it's it's changed the paradigm. You know, I think we, it was a lot easier before to make a living as a freelancer, and now the idea of paying people to write for you is just mm-hmm. kind of seems to have gone out the window. I mean, I remember being an editor at The Advocate in like 2000, and having, you know, and hiring people to write articles for 50 cents a word and feeling embarrassed about that. Like that was bargain basement. And now I would kill for a 50 cent a word gig from somewhere. You know? yeah. yeah. So it's, it, so that's definitely changed a lot. And you know, the, there, there've been a lot of articles lately about how LA is sort of going that San Francisco, New York route of like, we're pricing ourselves out of hmm. people being able to live here, mm-hmm. which sucks. I mean, I'm lucky cause I, I'm in West Hollywood and I've got rent control. So like I've been in the same apartment since 99 and it's, you know, I could not afford to move into my neighborhood now, but I'm, yeah. I'm leaving feet first, you know, cause I, I, I got a deal going. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think it's a great city and, and I think that it's, 
it is large enough both in terms of, of uh, you know actual size but in the figurative sense that you can make out of it what you want and you can live in the LA that you choose to live in you know mm-hmm. I always tell people the worst stuff that you believe about Los Angeles is true but you don't have to live in that one you know yeah. so like yes there are terrible grasping ambitious people who will shiv their mother to get a guest shot on a mm-hmm. you know reality show or whatever and yeah those people are out there. I don't hang out with them. (laughs) You know, my friends are lovely. So, you know, I I think that, you know, if if you want a super cinematic LA lifestyle, you can have one. If you want a super literary LA lifestyle, you can have one. If you want one that's, that's revolving around dance and music, you can have one, you know, like there's, there are just all kinds of things happening and you know, no one can do all of it. So you might as well pick the parts you like and make that your life. Hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a good way of uh, of phrasing it. I uh, I've been uh, it's been a while since I've done it, but I was driving for Lyft for a while and uh, from eleven p.m. to four a.m. and so wow. I became acquainted with like entire areas of the city, but also just in enti- different types of people, positively <laughs> and negatively. I'm uh, sure. And it was like, oh wow, this is. Uh, I'm, I, I was very happy for a while that I was driving for Lyft because like I'm getting exposed to an entire, entire subcultures that I'm not familiar with or maybe even aware of. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why it's one of my pet peeves is when someone dismisses Los Angeles as if they know it, whereas you could live here 30 years and still be discovering Los Angeles every day because like you're talking about, it's so many different things at the same time and in different places. Yeah. I mean, none of us will ever eat at as many restaurants as Jonathan Gold has been to, (laughs) but they're all out there waiting for us. I know. I go to like one, I go to like Gilligetza and it's like, I just want to eat at Gilligetza for the rest of my life, but there's a hundred other things on his list. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Um, uh, You know, uh, to, uh, on a bit of a sadder note, you were talking, uh, you just all this talk about you, you know, working in newspapers, reading the newspapers, very sad news about LA Weekly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. Um, yeah, that's really depressing. I mean, on a personal level, because April Wolf is a co-host of mine on a, a show that we just started doing called Who Shot Ya on the Maximum Fun Network. And I think she's a really great film writer and, and I'm sure that she's going to bounce back. But the, the level of gutting that has taken place in this paper, uh, both at the editorial and at the reporter level. I mean, they've killed this paper, you know, and and that's a valuable outlet for Los Angeles. You know, we used to have multiple weeklies. We used to have the reader and, Mm -hmm. you know, several other ones. And it was down to the weekly now. And uh, and without it, I mean, we're I think we're really missing out on a on an important source of of great writing, but of great investigative journalism. Well, as I was reading about and I don't know much, I, I don't know a lot behind it, but like like half the staff is is gone now right mm-hmm. is that basically it i think more than, more than that more than half yeah. and so it makes me wonder like well to the people that that made that decision like well what do you think the paper's going to be now like what do you want it to be aside from less well I, you know april said on facebook she was trust me pick up the the edition that's out now pick up the edition next week you'll want to savor those and remember what this paper was like so mm-hmm. it sounds like they're probably going to go principally online i'm yeah. sure that's going to become a much thinner much more ad heavy thing it's going to be the kind of deal where we have we had 10 writers and then we have four and then we have one and you know it, it, it we've seen this repeat over and over again at at media outlets and it's just it's it's a sad thing to watch yeah Hmm. Uh, um my my news my my version of uh reading the movie listings uh, as a kid um was in st louis uh we got my family got the st louis post dispatch on Mm -hmm. sundays but we also got the catholic register and i loved reading the capsule reviews of movies in the catholic i remember those yeah it wasn't about the quality of the movie (laughs) it was about how right it was for catholics to see it well you know john waters said his entire film education as a child was going to see all the movies that got condemned (laughs) by the catholic church because that's that's he knew those are going to be the interesting ones. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. I read this cause everyone talks about like the Roger Ebert movie guide or the Leonard Malton movie guide. Sure. Uh, my family bought like the HBO movie guide, okay. um, which I think it, it went the, the, the rating system. It was, it topped out at five stars, but I think rather than one star, I think it was a Turkey. Uh, uh, it had, and it, and it was adorable because it had just this little silhouette of a Turkey there. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And just, 
And in the back, there was always an index of like actors and directors. And you'd be like, oh, I like this director. Oh, they've done all this stuff. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it was before IMDb. So it was the, the handiest thing. I like, I worked every single one of those out. Yeah, no, I, the, people, when you try to explain to people what life before the internet was like, they just don't, they look at you blankly. <laughs> but, you know, I still have on my shelf this very dusty, very thick book, uh, The Film Encyclopedia by Ephraim mm. Katz, you know. And I have was, that as well. Yeah, the, and, and, yeah, and that was what you had to do. You know, I mean, when I, my first job, sort of the summer after college, I worked at the Tower Video in Nashville. And under the desk, I had... Uh, I had Cats, I had Malton, and I had Danny Peary's Guide for the Film Fanatic. Mm-hmm. And that was how I found stuff for people. And I got really good at people saying, Jimmy Stewart's in it, and he plays a pilot. And I got very fast at sort of cross-referencing, like, ah, ding, you know. Uh, but that, you, you actually had to find those things out for yourself. You couldn't just Google them. <laughs> I remember, uh, so I'm back in school right now and I'm 10 years older than everybody else in my class at UCLA. And I remember day one, oh, I, f- I felt so very old. Um, day one, it's like, okay, it's, we're all sitting around a table. It's like, it's time to like start taking notes. And I pull out my notebook and everyone else has their laptop. And I was like, <laughs> I was like okay, well, I guess I don't have a stone and chisel. I guess that's, that's a win. Uh, I assure you, you guys will do that to me at some point before the show is over. So <laughs> I'll be looking for the opportunity. <laughs> that, right. that, actually, it's funny when I, when I sent, uh, I think it was Ingu Kang to review, what's the Woody Allen movie with, Emma Stone as a college student, irrational man, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like uh, all the students in the college scene are like writing in notebooks, and she's like, oh, Woody Allen has clearly not set foot on a college <laughs> campus in 50 years. I think legally he's not allowed to, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, uh, Wonder Wheel is good, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Have you seen Wonder Wheel yet? Yeah, I was not so into it. Uh, it's, I, I liked it, but... Uh, yeah, you I seem feel, to be alone on that. I've been reading a lot of It's lot my of kind of reviews. movie, like that, that sort of very arch, like, melodrama type of stuff, especially with yeah. the Tara Stereo. Yeah, no, Stereo, it's beautifully Stereo, shot, Stereo, but it, to me it felt like you could nudge it a little bit and it would just become this great parody of post-World War II American drama. You know, like, he, the, the, there's so much sort of half-baked William Inge and Tennessee Williams... Yeah and stuff yeah. in there that you could you know it, it's almost as though he's he's parodying this mostly thankfully forgotten genre but instead he's just doing it and not and well I, I liked it but I have felt like guilty about telling people that I like it especially like with the culture the climate being what it is now which I'm glad for uh, um, and I'm not going to sit here and try to complain like oh darn all this stuff has made it so that I can't no, it, it, I just recommend it Woody Allen it's, 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 it's tricky that. this is my first Christmas in years to not watch the ref uh-huh. can't do it can't do it this year maybe later but not now kevin spacey mm. uh yeah that's yeah i didn't think about that um well that, the, this the today a, show is such a big part of my life <laughs> i love that's funny i mean because there are so many people anyway um anyway we've got okay we, we talked about books you mentioned a christmas movie i think we have the perfect transition here yeah you have a book about christmas movies it's called have yourself a movie little christmas i do indeed uh what what is the book about uh well you know uh, again going into sort of the, the 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 things you have to do as a writer these days um i've always loved movies i've always loved christmas and uh on a nearly annual basis, some editor or some outlet would turn to me like, hey, could you give us a list of eight offbeat Christmas movies or uh-huh. you know, eight unusual Christmas movies or eight Christmas movies for adults or whatever like that? And so having done that for a while, I thought, okay, there's actually a lot of different kind of Christmas movies. And, you know, we have this sort of canon that we've determined that like, you know, yes, we're all, we're all going to watch It's a Wonderful Life every year. But there are a lot of films that that work Christmas in and that include Christmas in a way and that, you know, can be categorized as a Christmas movie, even though they don't sort of fit the usual mold. And this was before the monstrously tedious is die hard a Christmas movie argument has taken over the internet on a, on a yearly basis, which I think we've all decided, yes, it is. Can we shut up about it now, please? That's exactly. Um, so, you know, so, so in putting the book together, I, I kind of, you know, I, I cast a, a, maybe a wider net than most. Like my definition for a Christmas movie is may not be as strict as other people's, but then I, so I, I, I had, you know, movies for adults, movies for children, uh, horror movies, action movies, comedies, tear jerkers, you know, I have 
an entire chapter dedicated to uh, Christmas Carol adaptations that go from mm. early talkies all the way to like you know Tory Spelling. Um, <laughs> so you know a, a chapter of like great turkeys, you know mm. like of, of really fun bad Christmas movies, and then sort of the the classics. Uh, and and I had a good time putting it together. It, and sadly, you know, I think. The kind of books I like writing are film research books, which are not really a genre anymore because yeah. we have the internet. Um, but you know, I, I had a fun. I had fun doing it, and, and people seem to dig it. And, and I, I, I always feel good when when people say on Twitter, "Oh, it's it's late November. I'm digging out Alonzo's Christmas book again." I'm like, oh, "Okay, good." I, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, if you put me in the attic with the lights, and I come down once a year <laughs> to remind you that hey, maybe you should watch The Lion in Winter. You know, then I'm yeah. I'm fine with that. That's the, that's like the director of which uh, just passed away. That's really? true. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, yesterday, the day before. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, Anthony Harvey. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Oh, he did the ruling class and a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. Oh. Uh, yeah. Lion in winter is a good, uh, cause I feel like because it gets talked about on Twitter every year or whatever, the, the pool of like, here's a Christmas movie you haven't thought of keeps getting shallower because everyone keeps right. mentioning it every year, you know, like eyes wide shut or whatever. I feel like it's sort of lost the novelty of being like eyes wide shut's a Christmas movie, even though I think it is. Oh, uh, I still have the eyes wide shut fight a lot. You'd yeah. be surprised. People are not ready to take, to go down that road yet, <laughs> but uh, I'm seeing a lot of Batman forever this year. Oh. Uh, Luke Thompson just did a piece about that for four Batman, Batman Returns. Batman, Batman Returns. Returns. Sorry. sorry. Okay. Yes. yes. That's the one I was going to bring up. Forgive yeah. me. Yes. Batman Returns. Totally a Christmas movie. Hell yes. Um, you know, uh, I am still waiting for the great kiss kiss bang bang revival mm-hmm. i was hoping that iron man 3 might have done that since it was you know the next movie directed by shane black and starring robert downey jr but <laughs> yeah. so far now you know it's still still very very much on the cult level but you know one of these years well, you know what uh you mentioned christmas horror movies have you seen a, rhythm, a very new movie called better watch out? i love better it's watch so out good. better watch it's out is so amazing yeah, yeah that, that's actually coming out on blu-ray i think this next tuesday and i've been really trying to push that on people it's a, a very clever film I, I liked it very much and it's yeah. I, I've been describing it as it's like it's home alone if you up the teen sadism quotient you know yes <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a movie um, people who listen to our movie journal episode already heard me say this but uh, I spent the first like maybe half hour of the movie kind of losing patience because I was like I get what the twist is but then the twist happens and it's like oh there's an hour left oh yeah let's see where else is this going it's funny because I, I tend not to watch trailers I'm a big believer in the like they just they're gonna muddy your you know take and you just need Absolutely. to whatever but I was so kind of compelled by this because we don't get a lot of Christmas horror movies that I watched the trailer and in fact my husband was like oh well now I've seen the movie and then we watched the movie he's like oh no 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 <laughs> there's that trailer is like just barely telling you anything and there's a ton more going on here yeah, so that's a good I, I really liked how clever that was when did this come out like this year last year it just like, came out on VOD I want to say in just in, a around, few months ago Halloween, okay. Halloween, yeah, but, it's, yeah it's one of those movies like that opens in LA at the yeah, arena yeah. you know yeah. and then it's mainly VOD and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's coming. It, the Blu-ray is next week. It's a, a filmmaker named Chris Peckover. I think it's his second feature, hmm. uh, but really smart and a great lead performance from uh, Levi Miller, who was the one good thing about Pan. I Remember didn't the, see Pan. Oh, yeah. saw it, right? I saw Pan. Ugh. Boy. Um, <laughs> That was terrible, but he's, he is, was uh, good, and he's yeah. really good in, in Better Watch Out. So I so I had a question about uh, about your book and and the like delving into things. Uh, so talking about like Iron Man three, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Die Hard, Eyes Wide Shut, just these these movies that take place at Christmas mm-hmm. and of course incorporate Christmas into it. It does make me wonder. You know, there's no rule that those movies have to take place at Christmas. So the writer and director clearly thought like, all right, no, there's by having it take place at Christmas that allows us to explore certain themes that we might or at least explore them more easily. So like, you know, whether you cover this in your book or it's just a thing that you've that you've thought about, like, why do you think uh, movies that take place in other genres like horror or action or superhero or whatever, why do you think they feel the need to incorporate Christmas as often as they appear to? I think, it, it, you know, you have to kind of take them on a case-by-case basis. Some of them, I think, you could, yes, it's totally an overlay, you know. I think the makers of Silent Night, Deadly Night were like, oh, no one's done Christmas yet, right, you know. Right. Although technically, they we'd had Christmas Evil, but it didn't really get a, a, as big a release. But, you and know. Black Christmas. Uh, and Black Christmas. Absolutely Black Christmas, yeah. But, I mean, in terms of, like, sort of the post-Halloween slash 
slashers. Like right. nobody had really hit Christmas hard, and so they they went for it. And you know, and they and they found interesting stuff to do within it, obviously. But um, I think that sometimes you know you do Christmas because if you are telling a story that is dark, either in terms of you know. Uh, naked greed, you know, like something like the, uh, the ice harvest, you know, or yeah. something like eyes wide shot where you have who, 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 this, this married couple who from the outside seems to be this ideal, perfect, you know, family with the two adorable children and the giant apartment in Manhattan. But obviously inside is sort of roiling all of these sort of, uh, you know, unfulfilled, uh, uh desires. Right. The you ref know, is the comedy version. Exactly. Of that. Yeah. yeah. The, the ref perfect examples. Like, you know, the idea of Christmas being like joy and light, and family and goodness. And so then that just throws a sharper relief on terror and, you know, misery and greed and whatever sort of dark stuff you're also trying to throw in there. Um, you know, and then I think there are ways that you can sort of dovetail the two. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been saying this semi jokingly for years, but, but it's really true. I mean, Die Hard is ultimately about a man and wife who reconcile their differences at the holidays, mm-hmm. you know, and if you really want to go further with it, you know, the, gift wrap is is essential to the finale. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there could have been regular duct tape, but that wouldn't have been nearly as cool, especially because, and it's something I had never even thought of all these decades later, and my friend Gray Drake pointed it out, is that, you know, that his wife's name is Holly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think, yeah. I think the thing there, about there, Die Hard could, that, sorry, just real quick, sure, the sure. thing about Die Hard that sealed the deal from even being a Christmas, Christmas movie is Michael Kamen's score with all the, the jingle the bells. Jingle bells yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And and just the clever usage of things like Christmas and Hollis and the Ode to Joy and, and whatnot. And, and you know, I think that it fits the caper well also because Christmas Eve is probably the least policed night of the year in a lot of ways, you know, or at least in, 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 in sort of businessy industrial areas, the assumption is everybody's gone home. No one's going to be around. No one's coming to work tomorrow. So that's when you, that's when, that's why you've got, you know, Reginald Val Johnson on the streets alone because there's yeah. nothing happening, you know? Uh, and, and, and so much of that plot is about the great sort of clockwork of Gruber's plan. I'm sure Christmas Eve was essential to it. So, I feel, sorry, I interrupted oh. you earlier, though. Oh, no, no. I was just going to sort of reiterate that, yeah, okay. there are movies you could you could pull the Christmas out of and it would be the same movie. But I think if it's in there, a lot of times it's for some reason. Even if it's just for, I think Shane Black likes how Twinkle Lights look. And I think, he's, <laughs> I think he likes the sort of artificiality of an L.A. Christmas specifically. Sure. You see it in, in Lethal Weapon. You see it in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, even at the very end of The Nice Guys. Um, mm. So, you know, I think it, uh, he likes the idea of the sort of warm climate city but that still aggressively art directs itself at the holidays <laughs> and will lay out the cotton batting and, and hang the lights in the trees, even if they're palm trees, you know, um, another thing Tyler and I have talked about, about yeah. Christmas being used in movies is sometimes in movies that take place over a long period of time, it's just sort of a market marking of the passage of time. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Know? Like uh, I think we talked about, uh, joy a couple of years ago, which is no, no one thinks of it as a Christmas movie, but it has like extensive Christmas yeah. scenes in it. And it's right. just sort of like, or if you look at a movie like lady bird, that is very much uh, on a calendar year, Year, you know, like yeah, you're at some point you're gonna hit Christmas. You know, you got to sort of see it yet. Inc- oh man, it's so have good. seeing it on Wednesday. It's yeah. so great. <laughs> I, I mean, over in New York, they say it's the best movie of the year. I, they <laughs> they said that today. <laughs> I, I, I am not necessarily disagreeing. I, I, mm. I haven't done my list yet, but it's certainly a contender. Yeah, there's still like I'm gonna say. 15 movies that I need to see before I feel <laughs> confident in my list at all. Um, Speaking of the New York film critics, I was, this had nothing to do with Christmas, but I was really excited that Tiffany Haddish won Best Supporting Actress. That is a baller move on their part, yeah. and I, I totally endorse that. Yeah. I mean, this is a really competitive year for actresses and supporting actresses, but she is absolutely on my short list at the moment. I think she's phenomenal in that movie, and we don't often give comedy performances they're due and mm-hmm. so I was thrilled that they did that for her especially in an ensemble do, there becomes a years long conspiracy theory that Marissa Tomei didn't win the end <laughs> <laughs> well if, if we got nothing else out of last year's Academy Awards we know that that is not true <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> somebody would have come running out with the right envelope <laughs> right. Um, so uh, but no it's something that, that struck me in talking about what Christmas allows a filmmaker to do it's not unlike when somebody sets a movie in the suburbs hmm. where it's just like, 
okay, well, we all know what the suburbs are. We all know what they represent. But if we have a horror movie like Halloween take place in the suburbs or, or a haunted house movie like Poltergeist, uh, if we do that, then we... Or, or, instant or subtext. Mystery. Yeah, it's, it's just like, oh, everything seems really nice, but let's not forget that there's stuff underneath. And like Christmas is like the event of the suburbs. Uh, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's a fair point because, you, yeah, there, there is the assumption of Christmas meaning you know, uh, meaning, you know, functional families, you know, or, or, or happy people or, you know, well-behaved children, whatever it is that, that, yeah, yeah, that you want to glom onto that, which makes it easier to go into zing. (laughs) We're doing something totally opposite, you know. Did you enjoy Krampus? A couple I did. Years ago. I, I loved it so much more than I thought I was. Going and, that's, to. and that's a movie that's actually kind of grown on me because I don't think I quite understood the ending the first time I saw mm. it. And then I was listening to another podcast where they were uh, talking. This is these guys are way more devoted than I am. They, this is a new show called Tis the Podcast. It is year round, and they review Christmas movies and TV specials. So they just started. So it's all fun and games now. <laughs> Talk to me in June because I know what it's like. To have to watch like endless Scrooge movies over the July 4th weekend. You know, we've all been there. Um, but anyway, they talked about other interpretations of the ending and sort of what the internet consensus of the ending was. I was like, oh, okay, I totally missed what that meant and mm. that I like this even more now. Yeah, I, uh, I really like the commitment to its tone. It felt very, it just felt right, especially when we consider stuff like a Christmas Carol, like the idea of this supernatural, very gloomy mm. and people being punished right. uh, around this, this time of year. Uh, it was something that I, that really worked for me and I thought it was going to be a little bit too winking and a little bit too knowing, but it wasn't. It was actually pretty sincere at times. Yeah. And um, I'll tell you, dysfunctional family Christmas is one of my favorite subgenres. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the ref, like I said, I'm not watching it this year, but one of my favorites, nonetheless, I love that screenplay. Um, the part, uh, the part when they announced they're getting a divorce, and the brother-in-law goes, why? <laughs> this is the biggest laugh <laughs> Slipper socks, medium. Um, but you know, so there's that one. The French do it really well. Like A Christmas, a Christmas Tale, Tale yeah. which is just, uh, I watch every year and I, I'm always getting new stuff out of that one. Uh, another French film called La Buche uh, with uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg and, uh, and Emmanuel Bayard about these three daughters, uh, three adult daughters dealing with their divorced parents and, and uh, stuff over Christmas. Um, yeah, I, I love sort of, you know, smart people arguing at the holidays. That's just, that's my kind of movie. <laughs> uh, well, let me ask you this way. When you were, you were naming the different sections of your book and I want you to give away, you know, the, 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 the good <laughs> the goods. people that I have to pay for. But when it comes to the classics, the, yeah. the, the canon, sure. what, deserves to be there and what doesn't deserve to be there. Well, I far be it for me to say, cause I, I there, that's one thing that I think that, that writing about this stuff has helped me as a critic is the notion of how much a certain movie means to people. Even if it's a movie you think sucks is not to be trifled with. And I think Christmas movies, especially like people saw a movie when they were seven and it meant the world to them and they watch it every year and they don't want to hear you tell them that one magic Christmas is a total bummer (laughs) and a terrible movie, you know? And so it's like, I, I, I tread very carefully on, on that because I, I have learned that that uh, that there's something about I think I mean and I think this applies to all movies but especially Christmas movies I think people really hold them close in a way where you know they just they they, 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 they it was beyond any kind of rational explanation of why they're they're fixated on it they just want it and they like it and they want to have it every year and they you know there's no talking them out of it and nor should I well and <laughs> chances are uh, you know as a kid you didn't find this on your own chances are your parents showed it to sure, you sure yeah so now it's always going to be associated with them saying you're gonna love this absolutely yeah no no there's a million reasons for that kind of thing and and what one thing I did find really funny in writing this was so many of the movies that we we think of now as the unassailable classics were savaged by critics at the time. Mm-hmm. People talked about White Christmas as having like you know a, a sentimental cod swallop or whatever. You know, <laughs> missing the point that that's exactly what we look for in mm-hmm. a Christmas movie every yeah. year. You know, Christmas in Connecticut with Barbara Samick. I mean, just like savage reviews. And I think that sentimentality is a hard one to pull off. 
to get for critics. I think that audiences will embrace it and they'll run with it down the road. Um, and so, so a lot, a lot of these movies aren't very well reviewed. And so I find myself when I review these films now, like, um, I remember the best man holiday a couple years ago being like, you know, I didn't care for this one, but I see what's in it that you might dig and will sort of, you know, want to hang on to year after year. I mean, it's not like I can't, you know, I can't poo poo any of these films. I mean, the man who invented Christmas is awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I still, have, I, I still haven't seen it, and I want to partially because I like the idea of Christopher Plummer as Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, I, he, that's yes, and I would love to see an actual yeah. Christmas Carol adaptation with him playing that role. But yeah, oh, the book it's based on is terrific. However, I very hmm. highly recommend that. But the movie never even explains its own title. Like there's this whole long story about how how Christmas was celebrated or not celebrated, and how the popularity of the Dickens story changed all that. Movie never really tells you any of that stuff. Hmm. So you know, it's it, it, it. I found it kind of annoying. But anyway, um, I, I mean, I think for for me the the, the, the unassailables are like, you know, obviously White Christmas and It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I'd say uh, of the recent batch, Elf certainly has oh, made sure. its way in there. Uh, I didn't put it in this chapter in my book, but Christmas Vacation, I think, has definitely crossed over into the like, you know, it's just not going anywhere. And, it's yeah. you know, people are going to love it forever. Um, you know, The Shop Around the Corner, I think, oh, is a yeah. great one. Um Gosh, the, the one I grew up speaking of, my you know, my mom said you're going to love this. Her mom, my grandma loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Miracle on 34th Street? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Which turns 70 this year. Wow. And the remake is great. My wife I never saw. My it. wife grew up watching the remake. Not grew up. It came out in like '94 or something. Yeah. But uh, but she watched that, and we watch it pretty much every year now. And it's it's all of, it's everything you're talking about because not only is it a remake, but it's a remake of something that everyone loves and that is really infused into it. Right. But in the best possible way. Like <laughs> it looks it first off, it's visually gorgeous. Like it's these really deep like browns. Like it just it it takes place in modern day, but it feels very much like it takes place in the in the forties or fifties. And it's Richard Attenborough as uh, as Chris Kringle. I I'm a big fan of the remake. Did you Did you like it? I, I, there's a lot that I like about it. I think Attenborough is a great Chris Kringle. I Mara Wilson was an yes. extraordinary child actor. She's now a great Twitterer, by yeah. the way. If you're no, not following her, you she's amazing. Uh, and wrote a really funny book about her sort of odd childhood and stuff. Yeah. And and she's she's great. I I I think she's fabulous. The movie itself is okay. It gets a little weirdly dark for me. Like the whole, like let's throw Chris Kringle into an asylum. They go a little far with in this version, I think, but you know, again, if you grew up watching that one, it's, there's no talking you out of it. And and I, and I get it. I I will say uh, I have a weird thing where, uh, of, you know, of all the versions of a Christmas Carol that are floating around out there. Um, my favorite is actually one that I didn't see until I was an adult, and that's the 1970 Scrooge with Albert Finney, the musical version, mm. which I just love. And it's very much kind of a post-Oliver movie. It's like the streets are full of dancing chimney sweeps or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, it really kind of blew me away. But I think for the most part, it's you, you, you know, whoever your first Miracle on the Forty Fourth Street was, your your first Scrooge, your first sure. whatever. That's the one you're going to go with. I was going to ask who your favorite. Maybe not necessarily a Christmas. Carol, but your favorite Scrooge specifically. Uh, Would it be Albert Finney or is that... I mean, he's up there. One of the things that I think that Finney does is so cool is he's one of the very few live-action Scrooges who plays young Scrooge and old Scrooge, Mm, which almost nobody does, and I think that gives it an added layer of poignancy because you see him when he's romancing you know, Fezziwig's daughter, and he's like hot young 1970 Albert Finney, and then turns into this like, you know, decrepit old crone. Um, You know, I think there's a real power to that, but I Obviously, Alistair Sim is extraordinary. Yeah. I really love the George C. Scott version from yeah. TV from 84, which is really I only good. saw that a couple years ago. Um, for my uh, for my other podcast, we were talking about Krampus and then comparing it to mm. that version of A Christmas Carol. Um, because my co-host said, you should watch that one because that one really kind of revels in the darkness. And George C. Scott plays a, a deeply unhappy Ebenezer Scrooge, but a guy who loves hating people. Yes. Like really just (laughs) every little barb. He just, Milk. Yeah, he, his humbugs are like he is just chewing into those yeah. and really enjoying being such a bastard. No, I totally agree. I, I saw that version in elementary school. Uh, a teacher who they just didn't want to. It was Christmas time. And didn't want to teach for the day. We're gonna watch a movie. Yeah, yeah no, 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 that <laughs> was almost that. Yeah. Uh, um, 
you, you got me thinking about something when you mentioned well, you mentioned movies that were panned when they first came out, mm-hmm. then you mentioned something like uh, Christmas Vacation. Right. Uh, there are these movies that I feel like they come out and people you know, people who were adults at the time maybe like roll their eyes or see like, oh, that's too cynical or that's too dark. But the people who grew up with them, it becomes, uh, and I feel like a Christmas story is is one of those. Like, Definitely. Uh, yeah, Christmas story has a really interesting history in that it, it came out and did okay. Like it didn't, it wasn't blasted by critics and audiences did all right with it. And that the, the, the movie, that movie really hit because, uh, when Ted Turner owned it or, you know, I guess because it, it was an MGM movie, he very shrewdly did, um, the, it's a wonderful life treatment to it yeah. because it's a wonderful life. When I was a kid was in the public domain. And so it was on TV all the time, every channel wall to wall, 24 hours because nobody had to pay to show it. And so I, I would watch it constantly and America watched it constantly. And that's how people came to embrace that movie. And then uh, somebody finally worked out the copyright and, you know, like it shows up on NBC like once or twice a year and it was gone. And so then TNT was like, all right, a Christmas story. We're going to show it for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. I think it was originally on TNT and then later on like uh, TCM or TBS. You know, all of those channels did it. And that's when the same, it all kind of got driven into our heads. And so that was, I think that's sort of how that movie kind of crossed over into becoming what it is now. And uh, thankfully there's enough in the film. Like there's enough iconic moments and images oh, absolutely. that it, it bears that out. Um, but it I, is, I think, I mean, I love it, but I think for a Christmas movie, it is um, a little bit cynical. I think so. But I think it also gets to, for, for a film that is, that really does not engage with like the, the religious part of Christmas. Like it really, it still seems to talk about the quote unquote true meaning of Christmas, which is, this family getting together and Christmas mm-hmm. not being about the turkey, not being about his BB gun. It is about those, but it's also about like they're just at this stereotypically Chinese restaurant well, that's, uh, at the, the end. You know, the biggest lie the Christmas story told us is that Chinese restaurants are empty on Christmas. They are absolutely not. <laughs> well, in the, the in the Midwest, if you aren't living around a lot of Jews, I think that might be the case, but not here in Los Angeles. No, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I know that in my own family, there's something about no matter how terrible an experience was. If there's a funny story to be gotten out of it that you will mm-hmm. then regale each other with for the rest of your lives that that makes up for it. So I kind of look at a Christmas story that way and that like, yeah, this is a Christmas that I got my, my, the, the BB gun I really wanted, which as a kid was my focus, but that the, the Turkey getting eaten and the, 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 the being alone in the Chinese restaurant, that's the thing that's going to stay with yeah. us forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other movie that came out when I was a kid and I think I embraced it because it felt like sort of a, 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 a nastier parody version of a Christmas Carol, but now I just think it's a great Christmas Carol movie. Is Scrooged, the, the Bill Murray one? Yeah, there's. I mean, there are moments of Scrooge that I think are great, and then other ones that just kind of fall flat for me. Like I've never found the Carol Kane part funny. Oh, I know, man. I know. Most people love that. I'm <laughs> I like, I, I was. I mean, I was. I just got out of college when I saw the movie, so I was a little older than when you said when I saw. It. But and and I go back and forth on his big speech at the end. Like I, part of me finds it really moving, and part of me just thinks this is very cokey, <laughs> you know. But it is one of my favorite Tiny Tims. Uh, that oh, yeah. kid, that kid is very untreakly, and the 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 notion that when he says "God blesses everyone," it's it's the fact that he says anything at all right. yeah. that's the big thing, and so just that gives that line an extra level of oomph, and so that totally works for me. And there there are things in that movie I think are great, but especially the cast you've got Alfred. Oh, Woodard. Totally. Karen yeah, Allen, yeah, yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait. John Forsyth, you know. Robert Mitchum. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that whole, the, the the whole bizarre thing of like, you know, the Robert Goulet's Cajun Country Christmas and, the, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Buddy Hackett and Mary Lou Retton in the live Christmas Carol, you know. Yeah, no, there's a lot going on there. I think the movie that, and, and y'all were, were probably old enough to look at this movie and go, ugh, but has somehow wormed its way into the hearts of millions because it is, I think, one of the highest grossing Christmas movies ever is is the live-action Grinch Who Stole Christmas, which I just think is a dreadful, <laughs> dreadful movie. I seem to recall, David, did you and I see it in the theater? In- we saw it together, and I yeah. defended it at the time, yeah. I think. I was and I 17, think I enjoyed I'm not sure it. why I wanted to defend it, maybe just to be a contrarian, but uh, I haven't revisited it probably since I was 17. I, just- I have, and it uh, <laughs> does not hold up. Yeah, I just think it's, it's ugly visually. Uh, it, it, there's a thing about taking these 
beautifully simple stories and schlumping them into a three act structure that, you know, the Polar Express does it too. you know, where it's like, do we need to know the backstory of the thing? And could we just it was, you know, Chuck Jones told this story in 22 minutes and it's perfect. The Polar Express one is especially egregious because it it, uh, to fill time, it puts Steven Tyler. Yes, the Steven Tyler elves and then like the, the almost falling off the train stuff. It's like, can we just what? What are we even watching anymore? I don't and even some, know. And somehow, in stretching these things out, they make them infinitely more disturbing. Uh, <laughs> like, like the Grinch. Like everyone there is like, oh, the Who's are horrifying. Yeah, and the then, Who's are all a holes in this version. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Is like by 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 throwing it into this larger story, the story winds up being. The exact opposite yes. of what Dr. Seuss was trying to do, Absolutely. which was fascinating to me. And then, and then the Polar Express, like just all these kids being in such danger all the time. Uh, we have a, a friend of the show uh, named Asterius Kokonos, who's a, a, oh, a right. comedian, and he uh, they did a, a Christmas themed. Um, uh, tournament, tournament of Champions, where he was the conductor. He had to defend the conductor from uh, Polar Express <laughs> versus the Ghost of Christmas Past. And so he goes, and he's got a conductor's outfit and these glasses that just show these dead eyes. And, <laughs> and uh, this this soundbite became something of a of a low level internet phenomenon where he's. Uh, his whole thing is like, I'm not too worried about this. What this ghost can show me, uh, like the ghost of Christmas past, like a past kidnapping a kid, uh, kidnapping kids, a future kidnapping thousands of kid, kids, <laughs> and a present. He goes and a present kidnapping delicious kids. <laughs> and then, but then he says, I'm not sweating it, nor can I sweat as I'm a digital cyber demon. And if you know Asterios, you know that yeah. he really milks that. But but it's true. Like that character is so. I wonder if they if they had made the film later when mocap was a little bit more developed maybe everybody wouldn't look quite so terrified well yeah because I mean those are all that's all practical makeup in that wait sorry we're talking about Polar Express or Grinch Polar Express oh yeah, yeah Polar Express totally that you know I, I made the joke when uh, when Avatar came out that I said one can imagine Robert Zemeckis watching Avatar with the expression on his face that Salieri has listening to his first <laughs> Mozart composition in Amadeus because it was so far beyond the awful like Polar Express being you know, even his Christmas Carol, like those dead eyes. There was, there was some good stuff in his Christmas Carol, but I do think that like casting Jim Carrey, he's great. He can be great in the right role, but like whether it be the Grinch or uh character, what is it? Uncle is it Olaf from Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events. Uh, I so, forget, but yeah, I know. Um, and then just like he does his Jim Carrey thing, which is obviously what he was cast for. But I just thought like, uh, I, it was. It just seemed so very, very wrong. All the stuff he was doing in A Christmas Carol. Yeah, and I thought visually it was quite interesting. Well, I don't know. At least the world. I, Gary Oldman as Tiny Tim. That was really disturbing. And <laughs> and, and uh, the idea that like oh, yes, this movie needs more carriage chases. You know, it's like come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, I can't remember what I was going to say, but um, is there anything else you mentioned? Elf, is there any other new things that you predict will become part of the canon? Hmm. You know, I have a real fondness for Arthur Christmas, which I, I think is a lovely movie that was horribly mismarketed. Hmm. For one thing, the title is, doesn't make sense in the United States. In the UK, it's a joke because Arthur Christmas sounds like Father Christmas, but we don't pronounce it that way and we don't say Father Christmas, so none right. of that works. <laughs> right. uh, also, it had the misfortune of opening, I think, like the same week as like Muppets and Hugo and Tintin. Mm. So just got totally buried. Uh, and I think that's a, a lovely movie that that, hmm. that really holds up. Um, I think Rare Exports in the oh, horror yeah. department certainly mm-hmm. is, is, is uh, catching on with folks. Uh, I hope that Better Watch Out does as well. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, it's, it's weird how uh, Hallmark and Lifetime have so cornered the market on a specific kind of warm and fuzzy that studios don't even try and compete anymore. So instead, you're seeing these categories that are either like R-rated comedy, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, like kids animation, like the star, which <laughs> <laughs> um, with, you know, a, with a shockingly good voice cast. Yeah, I know <laughs> who I'm sure they got them. They were all in there for 20 minutes, you know, or actually and then a lot because, again, it's, it's doing what they're not doing on cable. So like R rated kid stuff uh, and then black films have mm-hmm. really had mm-hmm. a resurgence. You know, we had there was this Christmas a couple years back. And then after that, we had like Black Nativity and Best Man Holiday. And then last year we had Almost Christmas, you know, and, and so like that's you know, I think they're just kind of finding whatever categories has not been completely subsumed by Hallmark. So, you know. Hallmark is not speaking to black Americans, apparently. Not, <laughs> Who would have not very directly. <laughs> you got to dig to find some Holly Robinson Pete in there, you know. <laughs> um, now, here's here's a, th- uh, a thing, because you mentioned the star. So being, uh, listeners know, uh, being Christian as I am and feeling somewhat obligated to review, usually negatively, most Christian films, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see the star. I because it's making any amount of money. I'm curious to see it. I have no expectation of liking it, but I'll keep an open mind. It's probably not very good. <laughs> but did you see Saving Christmas? Oh, Kurt Cameron. Yeah. Oh, you, you bet I did. You did. Oh, oh my! Gosh. In the in the theater. Thank yes. you very oh, much. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was one of my favorite uh, episodes of my other podcast to to record because that movie is this weird it's it's not a documentary it's not a narrative it is cuckoo it's just, bananas it's insane i feel like everybody should watch oh, it just yeah. to try to classify it's it. unbelievable because i went in thinking okay i know what this is going to be this is going to be kurt yeah. cameron telling me that jesus is the reason for the season and we're doing it all wrong no this is a movie that kurt, is kurt cameron is telling everybody christian or otherwise you're doing christmas wrong because you're not doing it exactly like i am yeah and so he's like defending materialism because Christmas is about the about the deity being made material and then the presents under your tree look like the skyline of Bethlehem it's like where are we even going now crazy uncle it's I mean admittedly he did he did zig when I thought he was gonna zag like in my world you're very used to people saying like no it's not about materialism it's about Jesus he actually said Look, I recognize you like Jesus and all that, but let's not forget about the materialism, and I will use that. I will use Jesus to get you into it. Yeah, it's about. It's, he mentions <laughs> butter and cocoa a lot. Yeah, and he's clearly drinking out of an empty mug. Oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> they do it on all the Hallmark movies too, and it drives me crazy. The empty coffee cups, or like the person with the four cups from Starbucks, and yeah. people are like woo. Like yeah. they, they're all empty. Um, no, and then the guy who directed Saving Christmas is in it, mm-hmm. playing a character named Christian, who is like the biggest straw man doofus who can't win a single mm-hmm. argument with Kirk Cameron. Yes, it's it's bananas. I, I got one for you. Okay, have you ever seen C the letter C me dance? No. Oh, it's a Christian movie about a teenage girl with leukemia who battles the devil through dance. And at one point in the film, she can touch people and immediately convert them into born-again Christians. What? It's bananas. Well, that doesn't really fit with the whole uh, choosing it. Uh, uh, exa- oh, I know. Yeah. It's a movie that even actual Christians, I think, are like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Really? I, never, I never saw, sorry, this is, this is a side note. I never saw Suing the Devil. Oh, I missed that um, one. But, it's, it, but uh, Malcolm McDowell plays the, the devil. Um, and... He's very like he's he's like Christian foul mouth where he's just calling everybody moron and idiot, and, oh, right. you know, but saying like you stupid idiot and just like don't don't give Malcolm McDowell don't have him <laughs> saying stupid idiot like come on he's got he's got this really classic quality to his voice but yeah I do think everyone should see Saving Christmas not because it's good by oh, any stretch, no. but because it's like it's almost experimental it is so ridiculous yeah yeah I, I, here's the thing like i mean i'm an atheist and i jokingly refer to myself as the christmas atheist but mm-hmm. uh, i i feel for christians who like movies because as a gay guy i went through such a long period where it, we were either invisible the butt of jokes or we were making our own movies and they were terrible and that's where christians are right now you threw all the artists yeah. out and so like the guys who are out there making these christian movies like your god's not deads and whatnot mm-hmm. they're terrible you know, every so often you will luck out and get a miracles from heaven or whatever. But for the most part, they're just like dismal. And and I'm thinking like if I were a believer, I would be doubly offended by how stupid this movie is. Yeah, pretty much. It's <laughs> it's just I mean, any 
I think an argument can be made that any audience that feels mis like underrepresented then yeah. makes their own movies, there's going to be a tremendous pressure to pander. Sure. And regardless of what that audience is, and but eventually they grow out of that. And I think we're vaguely starting to get that now. Very vaguely. Fingers like, crossed. There was some Christmas movie a year or two ago that was a Christian movie where the guy who runs the local auto parts factory and they all go on strike and he almost gets into a car accident and he saves this poor black family and then he has all the poor people in town come move into the factory and then he makes them work because they're non-union. <laughs> it, like, it, it veers off into this weird Ayn Rand territory. It was it's, crazy. It sounds vaguely familiar, but that's the thing is they also crank these things out so much, mm. I'm not even aware unless they get any kind of cast right. or make any kind of money like over $2 million is considered a success. Success. I haven't even heard of it and there well, are like dozens every year. Hang out at the AMC Burbank, not the 16, but the one that's inside the mall. Yeah, they all land there. That's where I saw huh. Saving Christmas. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, we should probably wrap up. I want to uh, mention a few comedies we didn't get to, yes. which is Gremlins of oh, yes. and Trading Places. Oh yes, um, and uh, and then a more recent one that I wish I, I feel like people who anyone who's seen this movie liked it. Uh, uh, but not enough people see it. I uh, saw it apparently. Uh, Just Friends, the Ryan Reynolds Absolutely. Anna movie. That is in my book. I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, that's the Ryan Reynolds in a fat suit movie that people <laughs> might remember for yeah. that. But that was that period between the sc- the scary movie movies and Mom when we didn't seem to like we all knew Anna Ferris was very talented, but, but no we one knew what to do, do with, with her. her. Yeah, yeah. She got like that in the House Bunny, which she's like great in both those movies. And she's in Brokeback Mountain. We always forget that. I, I did forget. That. <laughs> I, ju- I I forgot. Yes. She, she, she has that one scene where she is married to David Harbour, of all people, from Stranger <laughs> Things. And then David Harbour and Jake Gyllenhaal have sort of that sort of flirty moment. But it's like, yeah, you watch that movie now, you're like, what are y'all doing in this film? Like, I forgot you were even here. Yeah, I, compl- I haven't seen the movie in years. I completely forgot that either of them were in it. Um, so... Uh, I have not seen the sequels to the Santa Claus, but I did rewatch the Santa Claus a few years ago and it's a lot better than I remember. It is. That is the first one is a smart film and and it it actually has a, has it, it it nails a tone and it has a lot of really kind of moments where you're like, Oh, this isn't just like a kid's movie. They actually want to entertain grownups as well. Mm -hmm. You could probably skip the sequels. Definitely the third one. Yeah. Second one is whatever, but the, yeah, the first one is actually, is actually pretty good. I'm going to go this, this is my, my, my most out there selection in the book only in terms of genre. It is the only documentary that I included. Okay. Uh, Frederick Wiseman made a, film called The Store, and it's all shot in the flagship Neiman Marcus store in Dallas, and he shot it over the Thanksgiving and Christmas rush of 1982. Hmm. So not only do you get like shelves of E.T. dolls, but... Uh, this was back, th- maybe they still do, but like Neiman Marcus had like a full hair salon and photo studio and you have not lived until you see what passes for ultra glam and fashionable <laughs> in Dallas in 1982. Oh, wow. uh, it's, it's, and, but like they also have like, they have carolers going through the store and, but then, you know, they also have like long staff meetings. If you've ever seen a Frederick Wise movie, you know, he's got to have those staff meetings in there, <laughs> yeah. but it's really terrific. And it's just, it, it is a, it's a look at Christmas that you, we don't think about so much but because commerce and and you know going to stores and stuff is such a key part of the holiday for so many people that movie i think is it always makes for interesting viewing that reminds me the department store reminds me of carol uh oh yes which which i would say a christmas absolutely you bet yeah no that the that whole um that whole toy store sequence is is so and that's the thing you can have a movie where even if it's spread out over a long period of time if the christmas sequence is particularly memorable yeah you know the one in carol for sure uh, I, I cite you know John Waters' female trouble just for the one scene where Divine dumps the tree down on her parents for not giving her cha-cha heels. You know that's a that's an iconic moment from that movie. You know even if the rest of the film is complete, you know takes place in March or whatever. You know that's a Christmas you carry with you. Uh, all right, well we should probably wrap up. I did want to. Okay, I wanted to ask you about a movie that I liked as a kid. I think has a very bad reputation. Okay, but I think it was because I grew up in a place that was very snowy and it was one of my first 
exposure to the idea of Christmas in in California, mm-hmm. and that's Mixed Nuts, the Steve Martin oh, movie. Oh god, it has a terrible reputation, but I remember liking it as a I, kid. I cannot finish Mixed Nuts. <laughs> I have tried at least twice, and I it's so dismal. And like I talked about great casts. Yeah. I mean, like that's I think that's Madeline Kahn's one of her last films. You know, mm-hmm. Steve Martin, Parker Posey, all these great people. It's dreadful, but it is a remake of a really good French movie oh, I didn't called know. Le Père Noël est une ordure, which is uh, Father Christmas is a, I don't know what we can say on this show, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an asshole. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's a very funny movie, and it's the same premise. It's the whole suicide hotline, yeah. the people in the building and stuff. And it's great, but yeah, Mixed Nuts, I really tried <laughs> just for research purposes to finish Mixed Nuts, and I couldn't do it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it this Christmas. I'm not, I'm not having seen it since I was you are, You're old. braver than I. Uh, well, uh, this has been a blast. It's got to be very excited for the Christmas season. Very Excellent. much so. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming out. Oh, thanks for having me. And, um, you guys at home, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can uh, email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can also find, uh, you know, the website has all of our reviews and our premium content. You can support us by buying all our fun, uh, fun premium episodes. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Davey pretension and Tyler is at Tyler pretension real quick. Tyler, you have another podcast. It's called more than one lesson. It is. Uh, but, uh, for the month of December, we're actually taking a break from the podcast itself, but there are still other podcasts underneath the umbrella. So there's always, uh, content at more than one lesson, uh, reviews and other podcasts. So do check that out. And then you can also, uh, you can go to worth watching book and you can buy my book, buy my uh, book. Buy my book. <laughs> uh, for, uh, I think I've told you, David, that uh, somebody put that uh, that clip from the critic for ten straight hours on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so when I when I uh, when I finally released my book, I just put that on YouTube uh, on uh, on Facebook. Uh, but yeah, so it's available for fifteen dollars, and so buy it for the the movie fan, and they'll be like in, in your family, and they'll be perplexed. Yeah. They'll be like, I don't know who this guy is, and What's I don't know stack why I of paper. Read. What do I do with this? <laughs> exactly. So uh, Alonzo, where can people find you and your book and all your work on the internet? Uh, sure. Well, the book is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. It's on Amazon as both uh, a, a a book book and a Kindle, so whichever uh, floats your boat. Um, uh, I, I write reviews for The Wrap, which is T-H-E-W-R-A-P.com. I'm the co-host of the Linoleum Knife podcast, which is, uh, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts and all the other places, and if you want our bonus content, go to our Patreon page. Uh, I'm also a co-host of Who Shot Ya on uh, Maximum Fun at MaximumFun.org, and I'm one of the hosts of uh, What the Flick on uh, the Young Turks Network at YouTube, which is is uh, youtube.com slash what the flick show. what the flick show <laughs> all right i'm all right. at a duraldi on twitter Man. all right well, you can't log on without seeing you you're all over the place <laughs> uh thanks again for coming this is great uh, this is a real pleasure I hope merry I, christmas merry christmas uh listeners uh thank you for listening merry christmas to you we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 